listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, Chairperson of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Michelle. Hey, Jeremy, and hello to all of our listeners out there. Today is January 1st, 2023, and this is episode 206 of Lighthearted. Happy New Year, everyone. Yes, Happy New Year to all of our listeners, and to you as well, Jeremy. Thank you so much. In a few minutes, we're going to hear a conversation with Tara and Brian Flanagan, who just completed five years as caretakers at Baker's Island Light Station in Salem, Massachusetts. We're recording this a little bit earlier, I have to admit, but it's exciting to be doing our first episode of 2023. This podcast began in June 2019, so we've now been doing it for parts of five different years, which is kind of amazing. I'd like to talk a little bit about a very cool New Year's observance that happens at one of the world's oldest lighthouses, Hookhead Lighthouse in Ireland. The New Year's arrow ceremony at Hookhead dates back to 1687. That year, the mayor and the new Ross Town Council claimed their authority over the local waters by traveling to Hookhead and shooting an arrow into the sea from the lighthouse. Today, every New Year's Day, at the crack of dawn, members of the Dunbrody Archers shoot arrows into the water in the presence of representatives of the local government. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty amazing thing. I toured Hookhead Lighthouse this past July. When you're there, you feel the weight of more than 800 years of history. Uh, monks originally staffed the lighthouse. Actually, monks built it as well. It's an amazing place, and I'm sure it's spectacular to be there for the New Year's Arrow Ceremony. So let's move on and tell everyone about Baker's Island Light Station and today's guests. Sure, Jeremy. Baker's Island Light Station is off the coast of Salem, Massachusetts, a few miles north of Boston. The station was established in 1798, and the lighthouse tower that stands today was built in 1820. The 10-acre site is owned by the Essex National Heritage Commission, also known as Essex Heritage, a nonprofit organization that manages and oversees the unique heritage resources of the Essex National Heritage Area. The area spans 500 square miles and was designated a heritage area by an act of Congress in 1996. During the summer season, Essex Heritage offers public tours to the light station by boat, as well as overnight stays with a campground and accommodations in the historic assistant keeper's house. Each year, volunteer caretakers stay on the island throughout the summer. Volunteers Tara and Brian Flanagan have spent the past five summers living and working at the light station, logging more than 1,500 hours worked each season. Brian worked as an environmental test engineer and Tara worked in the veterinary field, but they both decided to retire early in 2014 so they could live their dreams of traveling full-time on their sailboat. They've sailed more than 10,000 miles visiting the Bahamas, the Florida Keys, and the Gulf Coast of Florida, as well as transiting the intercoastal waterway six times. In 2017, Tara and Brian had the opportunity to be seasonal caretakers at the historic light station on Seguin Island off the mouth of the Kennebec River in Maine. They started at Baker's Island Light Station in 2018 and recently finished their fifth and final season there. They are now the winter caretakers for the residential portion of Baker's Island. Tara also works as the education director for Annapolis Boat Shows. 
I've visited Baker's Island a few times in recent years, and I've met the Flanagans on the island, but it was nice to have a chance to have a longer conversation for the podcast. We covered a lot of ground about their experiences on Baker's Island and also Seguin Island. So let's listen to my conversation with Brian and Tara Flanagan now. I'm speaking this afternoon with Tara and Brian Flanagan, who uh, were the live-in volunteer caretakers at Baker's Island Light Station in Salem, Massachusetts for the past five years. Thank you so much for being with me today, Tara and Brian. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. We love being here. Well, thank you. So, you know, I, I don't know if you if I've told you before, but I grew up in Lynn, Massachusetts, and uh, which, of course, is right next to Salem. Uh, and I used to go to Salem Willows Park all the time as a kid, you know, spent a lot of time in Salem. Baker's Island was a place that was basically off limits for many, many years, as you, as you well know, because of the kind of private community on the island there. And I first got to visit the light station in 2001, and I visited with Marty Nally, the contractor, did a lot of restoration to the lighthouse at that time. So that was a thrill for me to get on there. But I am so happy that Essex Heritage has now opened the light station to uh, visitors for, for tours. It's just a fantastic thing. And we're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. I recommend the tour to people very highly. And we've met on the island when I've been there. I've got to, to talk with you there. So it's nice to see you again. So before we talk about Baker's Island and the light station, let's just talk a little bit more about your background. Uh, the two of you, okay. first of all, I understand if I got it right, you you both uh, retired early in 2014 to basically to sail more or less full time. So do I have that right? What led you to that decision? Um, it is correct. So basically, we had two major life events um, going on. One, Brian's company in Connecticut was shutting down the plant. So he basically had the opportunity to take early retirement. I had a medical issue that made me realize I got to go play now or I'm going to be dead. Mm. Um, so in 2014, we set sail from Bridgeport, Connecticut on our boat and just wanted our goal was to go south where it was warm. So we left October 2nd of 2014 from Bridgeport. I think it was a two year plan. We were going to take two years off from work and then we we're planning on actually finding maybe somewhere else to live, but not necessarily uh, changing our lifestyle. I'll just take in a two-year uh, kind of adventure. Adventure. Yeah. Um, so we ended up the first year, we made it over to the Bahamas, um, sailed a lot of the islands, met amazing people, um, and realized this was really fun. <laughs> and we came back up to New England again and basically kept going north to south, south to north, up until 20... 2017. 2017. And we had a major systems malfunction on our boat. So we kind of had to regroup and figure out what we were doing. And that's where the, the lighthouse gig started. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And it started with Seguin. We'll get into that in a minute. But um, Tara, you just told me uh, that you are currently the education director for Annapolis Boat Shows. So I'm curious about that. Uh, that's something you're able to do remotely, obviously. So what, what sort of things does that involve? Well, I work year round, but I'm blessed to be able to work remotely. I have to physically be in Annapolis, Maryland in April and October. So I coordinate all the education programs the boat show does. And my main program is called Cruisers University. And it's one of the largest 
educational programs out there for future cruisers, boaters. And I organize, manage, and host about 500 students twice a year in Annapolis, teaching them anything from diesel maintenance to weather to how to anchor your boat. Because what we did learn when we were sailing south was a lot of people don't know what the heck they're doing out there. So my goal is I've lived what these people want to do. So I make sure that they know what they need to know. Well, that's fantastic. So even though you're not sailing full-time these days, you're still able to, uh, to impart your, your knowledge to others. So that's, that's excellent. Correct. Yeah, yeah. that's great. So, and then what led you to taking the uh, caretaking position at Seguin Light in Maine, which is a fantastic place, another place I really love. What led you to uh, taking that position in 2017? I think what started it was we were heading south again. That would be our third year of going south for the winter. And we had engine problems in Coin Jock, North Carolina, which is on the ICW in the middle of nowhere. Uh, south of uh, Norfolk, Virginia. So you get on the intercoastal, just a few miles down, the engine decided to quit. And because we were in the middle of nowhere, with no mechanic to work on the engine, I had to do the work. It turned out to be a blown head gasket. While we were there for a week with absolutely nothing to do, I actually had something to do. I was working on the engine. Tara had absolutely nothing to do because our engine compartment, even if she could help, couldn't fit in the engine compartment to help me. So basically, Tara was bored for a week. Mm -hmm. um, looking online, looking on Facebook and, and other things. And I can't remember exactly what. Yep, a Facebook media. post, a Facebook post from Women Who Sail. Someone posted, hey, who wants to be a lighthouse keeper this summer? Mm -hmm. And I yelled down to Brian. I said, hey, want to be a lighthouse keeper? He goes, do you not think I'm busy? Do whatever you need to do to not bother me. And I'm like, well, I guess that means I can fill out the application. So at the time, it was an 11-page application, and we filled it out. And I walked to the post office and mailed our application. So... So that was at the end of October of 2017. Yeah. And at the time, I mean, we had no experience with any kind of caretaking. Uh, we had our occupations. We lived on a sailboat. Um, that's the only experience we had. So really, I thought it was uh, no chance that they were going to select us to do it anyway in the, in the first place. So we just continued on moving south. Uh, kind of that was in the background Possibly that might happen. Well, we never counted on it happening until we got to Florida. You're in Titusville. Uh, yeah. We were in Titusville, Florida, and we get a, a phone call saying they wanted to interview us. And that was a surprise. And I think by that time, we forgot all about it. We, it didn't, wasn't even, <laughs> we didn't even think about it. Right. Um, so we did the interview, and the interview turned out horrible. Um, we did it in a boat lounge in Titusville, where the Wi-Fi was going in and out. There was a storm up in Maine where Fossils was that we were in the interview with. And uh, so, again, we, by the end of the interview, we just said, well, at least we don't have to worry about doing that next summer. And when we get down to Vero Beach a couple weeks later, uh, it was New Year's Eve 2017. Yeah. Um, they gave us a call and said, if you still want the position, it's yours. <laughs> now we were thinking, well, I Maybe we were the only ones that applied. I doubt that and very we had, much. Yeah. And we, we had no knowledge of what was expected of us, what, what we were going to do. Um, it was all just kind of, okay, we'll be up there in May. 
Yeah. Here's the fun part is when we finally arrived to Pompom Beach and met Cindy Carney, the um, director, and we jokingly said, so, are, you know, how many people applied? Were we like the only ones that applied for this? And she goes, no, there were six couples that were of good choices. And she said, here's the funny part. There's another Flanagan that applied. And I'm like, well, we, were we the right faces that you were expecting? I mean, had you made a mistake? She goes, no, you guys are the right ones. It turns out the Flanagans we ended up working with at the boat show that year. And we kind of made a joke about it, that they were the other Flanagans and that we took their spot at Seguin. So hmm. um, Seguin was our start and we absolutely adored it. I mean, yeah. it's hard to not fall in love with that place. Oh, I agree completely. And Brian, you, you mentioned the name of the organization. You said Fossils. And I just want to clarify, that's the Friends of Seguin Island Light Station, right? Correct. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I go back away. It's probably been more than 20 years since I first visited Seguin. I haven't been on the island in a while, but it is a really special place off the mouth of the Kennebec River, yeah. being one of the highest lights in New England, a couple of hundred feet above the water and just a spectacular light station. So what sorts of things did you do on Seguin? I know it's, it's hard to answer that, I'm sure, in a couple of sentences. I'm sure you did a, an awful lot of things. The general gist of it was we were responsible for the landscaping and giving tours of the lighthouse and running the museum gift shop. Um, and then hosting weekend guests in the assistant keeper side of the duplex. What was really interesting for us is that the volunteers for Seguin is so well organized that when we left Island on Wednesday for our day off, the volunteers came on Island and did a major project. And so we never really had a chance to really mesh with the volunteers. Um, so we were given a guideline by Cindy Carney, the director, about four or five days she stayed on the island with us and told us kind of what we needed to do. And then we were kind of on our own and had a blast. <laughs> it was uh, what was asked of us was really to take care of the landscaping and to um, give guides to the guests, which the guests were overnighters in the assistant keeper's house. They also had a small campground and we had a lot of um, visitors on boats, especially sailboats. There were six moorings there that were free to mm -hmm. pick up with a kind of a, a volunteer donation if you wanted to make it. Uh, so a lot of times we'd be sitting around on a weekday not expecting anybody. And now you know where Seguin is. It's it's not like Baker's. It's really out in the middle of the ocean. It's very difficult to get at. It, it can be really rough trying to get there with the Kennebec River. Yeah, And people would just show up. Somebody would come up and we'd be eating dinner and somebody would just show up on top of the plateau said oh we just came in on a sailboat and then we would have to give them, not have to we would actually enjoy it to give them a tour and a walk up the lighthouse and then of course we had the weekend visitors which were friday saturday sunday where groups of day visitors came out and we were responsible for the whole tour from from walking them up the beach to the lighthouse to bring them to the top of the lighthouse and giving them a brief history of the lighthouse mm -hmm. and that's what it was all expected from the caretakers because as Tara mentioned on Wednesday was our day to go to the mainland to the vision. So our friend Ethan, which was the ferry operator at the time would actually uh, pick up the volunteers, bring them out to the Island, drop off the volunteers. We'd get on the boat. We would go back with Ethan. We would provision during the day. And then in the afternoon, Ethan would bring us back out and bring the volunteers back in. So we never uh, mingled with the people that were doing the major work. 
So, mm -hmm. I mean, we also were responsible for writing the blog, um, putting Facebook yeah. posts out, making sure we took a lot of pictures. One of my favorite stories that I remember of Seguin, and it always stands out to us, is one thing Brian and I have learned in the last eight years is you need to talk to people. You need to put your smartphone down and just have conversations. And I was at the top of the lighthouse with this young gentleman, and we started talking a little bit about, you know, I said, hey, where are you from? And he said, oh, I'm from Connecticut. And we started talking about sailing in Connecticut on Long Island Sound. And he said to me, he goes, oh, I learned to sail out of Bridgeport, Connecticut. And we started talking a little bit more. And he goes, yeah, he goes, I actually made, I don't know, something like a hundred monkey fists for a fundraiser to buy an engine for a Sea Scouts boat. Mm. And I said, oh, really? I said, we have a Sea Scouts boat, an old boat, Sea Scout. And he goes, really, where? Where is it from? I said, Bridgeport, its old name was Thor's Hammer. And he goes, I raised the money for the diesel engine in that boat. Oh, wow. And I said, well, ironically, the reason why we're lighthouse caretakers here at Seguin is because we blew the head gasket on that diesel engine you raised money for. Uh-huh. That's uh -huh. my, that's what Brian and I love the most about our lifestyle is finding these connections that are just out there when you ask enough questions. Yes, yes. And, you know, that's a great story. And it brought to mind something I experienced at Seguin, this would be this would have been June 2001. I went out there uh, with the renowned French photographer Jean Guichard, who took that really famous picture of the wave wrapping around the base of a French lighthouse, La Jumont, yeah. the, off the Brittany coast. And I uh, helped for about a week. I spent time with with him getting him to some lighthouses in New England for a book he was working on. So we went to Seguin at sunset, got a boat ride out there. And the, the caretakers on the island at that time were a young couple there. I remember their names, Jim Woods. Oh, and uh, what was her first name? Her last name was Pescatori. And I, I'm sad, sad. I can't think of her first name right off the top of my head. But anyway, this guy, Jim Woods, was there because he was inspired by Jean Guichard's photo that he had the poster <laughs> on his bedroom wall. And he was so excited that we just showed up out of the blue and he got to meet his, his hero. So I don't know. Seguin is a place where magic happens, I guess. and sure Connections is. are made. Yeah. But uh, it's a it is a great organization. As you said, I go back to the days of Ann Webster Wallace, the founder of the organization. And uh, I've interviewed Cindy Carney for this uh, podcast. The one other little story we have is we did your um, the haunted lighthouse um, webinar a couple of weeks ago. And one of the those stories that we feel we've started out there is I was lucky enough to be able to bring my very old dachshund with me the summer we were out there, who was kind of a pain in the tush to Brian, but a really sweet dog to me. And unfortunately, he passed away on one of our last weeks there, and we had permission to bury him on the island. And we did. So we jokingly said that now not only could you possibly hear piano music playing, you might hear a dog barking, at which point Phineas is just constantly annoying as a ghost there now, too. So he's continuing in the afterlife by being an annoying barker on Seguin. So people have reported hearing barking there? We don't know. We hope so. Well, OK, <laughs> I hope so. I hope so, too. If he liked it there, I hope I hope so. Uh, and he probably had a good time living there, right? The yeah. dog. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right up until the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of all that, since we're on the subject, 
did you experience anything kind of out of the ordinary? Well, well, of course, both places have that kind of reputation, but, but Seguin first, did you experience anything there? We didn't, but dogs, we've always been told that dogs are very intuitive to spirits and things like that. And Brian and I are both very open to having spirits, trust me. But our two little dogs that were with us would sit in the living room looking at the stairs. And there was a story, a ghost story, saying that people had in, had seen a little blonde boy running up and down the stairs with a red ball. And our two little dogs would sit and stare at the stairs like a tennis match going up and down the stairs. And no one was upstairs, so it wasn't like they were looking at waiting for someone. But on a, many occasions, they would just sit and stare at the stairs like I said, going looking up and down like someone was going up and down the stairs. Mm -hmm. This is in the tower so, you're talking about, in the lighthouse tower? No, this was, it was actually the house. in the um, keeper's house. In in the house. Okay. okay, I wasn't sure. So okay. supposedly there was a little boy that either passed away while on island in the, in the many years back, and they said that his spirit as a little boy bouncing a ball up and down the stairs, mm -hmm. you know, and the dogs would just watch the whole time. They'd be fascinated with it by, you know, minutes at a time. Wow. I don't think I've heard that one before, but there's a lot of stories about Seguin. Of course, the most famous one is the ghostly piano music that people supposedly hear because uh, the story is that there was a murder-suicide. The keeper, keeper's wife would play the same song over and over on the piano. So he grabbed an axe and chopped up the piano, killed her and killed himself. So they say. Uh, and of course, people supposedly hear that piano music ever since then. Did you hear any right, strange piano music while you were there? We didn't, but we had, we had many, many people come out because of Seguin's story, you know, mm -hmm. history of the ghosts. And we had many people come out and wanting to know all, all the ghost stories. And, you know, I had to spend a lot of time with the island historian to try to learn as many of the ghost stories so that while I was giving tours, I could really make it very, you know, exciting. And, you know, they did some, something that the engine house had spirits and, you know, so I had to learn all the ghost stories so I could make sure that all the, the ghost hunters that came out weren't disappointed. But no, I wasn't able to present a ghost to anyone. <laughs> okay. And well, Tara did the good guides. Tara was the, she had the fun uh, tours where I was the more technical guy. So, so Tara really got into the ghost stories. I get into more of the history and how the White House was run. Yeah. And it's pretty fascinating when you mix the ghost stories when you're living in a place that had people living there since the, the late 1700s, all the structures are old, but even the structures are newer than the original structures that were there when yeah. it was first commissioned. Right. So there were families living there going way back. Tara had the opportunity, or both of us had the opportunity, but Tara talked the longest with a woman that came out to visit us that was actually stationed there with her husband As when it was way. still a when it was still a, a couple, a family a light station before they turned into a bachelor station. And she had stories just about being there in the winter, trying to wow. get the kerosene. They were still using kerosene for the lantern and they would have to try to light the kerosene lantern. And they have so many chances. And then they would have to call in saying Seguin was off station because they couldn't get the light to light. But a lot of stories like that, when you hear of the adventures of people that had there, your mind kind of, drifts to ghost stories. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind yeah. of one, one feeds the other. Personally, I think yeah. it's the fog that makes everyone thinks they see ghosts out there. <laughs> it was really foggy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely known for that too. 
Um, but I just want to mention, you know, when people talk about lighthouse ghost stories, the thing that I often say is that whether you believe in those stories or not, the the keepers of the past, they're with us one way or another, whether it's literally or figuratively, they're very much there at these places. Their presence is felt. And I, I'm just wondering if you had a, have had a sense of that about Seguin and Baker's Island, just well, it sounds like from what you just said, Brian, you do have that sense of that history that has preceded you at these places, uh, all those yeah. people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's exciting for us because I think we found it more at Baker's becoming, we were there for so many years, you start to feel what they went through, you know, and we found a lot of fun things on Baker's that at the time Essex Heritage didn't even know about. Um, and it gave us a connection with the history and you know, like you said, history and spirits or however you want to talk are all intermingled. So yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of work in those light stations, a lot of hardship. You know, people died. I, I'm pretty sure here's uh, one of the keepers, assistant keepers died trying to get out here on boat during a storm. But you hear that a lot with lighthouse keepers um, at light stations, especially back 100, 200 years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, it was really a rough kind of occupation I guess you call it. not a very high paying one either so you, right yeah i always say adventurous it, undertaking. yeah i always say it wasn't as romantic as people think being a, a lighthouse keeper <laughs> and you can see how it got easier it's also fascinating that we've got to uh, really dig especially at this light station we could see where it went from you know, we can imagine what it was like with whale oil, but then we can see the oil house, which was kerosene, and we can see the old power cables that came up in the 20s and 30s. Mm -hmm. um, and then the diesel tanks that were on the beach, so they would bring diesel by barge in and then pump the diesel up. And that was towards the end of the, the, light, the man light station years. But you see all this mechanisms and everything to keep this light station going, and it's, it's just fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you think about the people that had to do that. This was a very important job, uh, yeah. hugely important. In fact, you could get pretty much criminal charges if that light was not lit and a ship went shipwrecked. Uh, it was a huge responsibility. Yeah, we jokingly say with the tours, it's always that occupation that a large family pays off because child labor didn't exist back then, you know, and they just assume that was part of your job is to keep this light station going. As a child, you helped. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the families that came out that had six or seven children that were capable of helping had a far easier job than the family that may have only had one child, you yeah. know? So it's, it's interesting that these light stations, when they finally went bachelor, but before then they had to have families out here to make it work or they never would have been able to do it on their own. I think that's true. And there were a lot of large families. It was kind of like farm families in a way, in a way, a lot of these places had almost small farms with gardens and animals and so forth. So there was a lot to do between the uh, the buildings and the the light and the, the animals and garden and everything else. So yeah, the whole family definitely chipped in. Uh, by the way, I, I tend to use the word caretakers for what you've done at Seguin and Baker's Island. I know that you're often referred to as keepers and you are very much modern day keepers. You have been. So I, I don't mean to shortchange you when I refer to you as caretakers, but you know, to, to me, the I usually reserve the word keeper for the, the people who are paid by the government to turn the light on and off. But you are very Absolutely. much in that tradition. You are uh, you have been modern day keepers. So I just want to make that that clarification there. 
But tell me why you uh, came to Baker's Island as the caretakers at the light station there. All right. Well, when we finished Seguin, we wanted to just get back to our boat. And our whole plan had been, you know, we're both from New England. And our plan had been to sail a summer in New England. So we got back to our boat after the fall and started sailing her north. All of a sudden in April, we got a phone call from Annie Harris, who is the director of Essex Heritage. And she said, our caretakers just backed out for Baker's Island. Any chance you guys would like to come for the summer and do Baker's Island? And we're like, you know, no, we're really sorry. Our whole goal is to sail New England. And, you know, she kept giving us this whole thing. And I'm like, Annie, I'm really, thank you so much, but I don't think so. So we ended the conversation at the end of April, she called again. And by this point, Brian and I already talked a little bit about it. And we're like, how could we make this work? You know, we're pushovers. And she called again and she goes, all right, look, is there any chance you could do a part of the summer? And we finally gave in and agreed that we would do June and July. And that would still give us August to sail. So That was the agreement. So we left the boat in Maryland and drove up here to become the caretakers of Baker's Island. I guess though, we just assumed we shouldn't have, you know, Friends of Seguin had been established for many years and Baker's Island had only been established for like two, two full seasons before we got there. So when we arrived at Baker's, we came out on the Numkeg, which is their landing craft boat and You know, I had my little dog and I had a cooler full of frozen goods and, you know, a beach full of all of our belongings, trying to figure out how we're going to make this all work. And a lot of other people came out on the boat, too. And Brian's trying to figure out all the systems and Annie, God love her. She has so many things going. She goes, I have an hour with you. So let's make this count. And I said, not a problem. Show me where the freezer is. And I'll put my meat away and then I'll come and learn what I need to do. She goes, oh, did I not tell you there's no freezers out here? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Okay, how do I get ice? (laughs) And she goes, "Um, well, we have a refrigerator. And I'm like, okay, let's get back on the boat. I mean, (laughs) so it was not as well prepared as we thought it would be. um, Seguin, they established, I think, 20 years before we became caretakers. Yeah. But they only allow caretakers for one season. And we never mm-hmm. really understood why they did that. They always wanted new caretakers. And they told you when you started, they said, um, uh, if you if you do a full season, we don't allow you to come back to do another full season. But uh, if you want to come back on weekends after Labor Day, we try to open it up to past caretakers. And it's almost kind of like a gift for you mm-hmm. doing the whole season. By that yeah. time, there's no really no visitors in Maine at that time. We tried to do that once. So getting on with the only one year, how they established it was is that the caretakers were purely just caretakers. They did not want the caretakers to take ownership of the property or think they t- were taking ownership of the property. So they wouldn't, how would I say it? They wouldn't overrule the longtime volunteers that were doing the major projects you know, doing the painting and replacing wood. They didn't want the caretakers to do that. They did that on Wednesdays. Now, when we came to Baker's, 
and nobody told us this. Nobody really, we didn't understand what our position was going to be, but it was going to be greatly expanded from what <laughs> we did at Seguin. Essex Heritage took a look at it as, hey, we have caretakers there. As long as they're willing to do anything, we'll let them do anything, which is completely opposite of Seguin. Seguin, don't touch that. Don't, you know, we want to do that on Wednesday. We don't want you to do that during the week to yeah. where we want you to work every day if you want to. Yeah. So Bankers Island, I mean, Annie asked us to come up with a game plan, a project list. So that was, we were there for 2017 and we had amazing tours. I think it was the first year I met you on one of your tours. We had some vintage dancers come out and had some beautiful um, pictures and, you know, just fun programs in 2017. But we had put a project list together. And one of it was Brian and I thought it would be a great place to have a campground just like Seguin. Mm -hmm. But there was none planned, nothing at all. So that was in our plan. And after 30 days of being at Baker's Island, Brian and I said, yes, we'll come back for 2018 because we want to be part of this. We want to do this. We love this history. It's a really bizarre arrangement with the private homeowners versus Essex Heritage and but we're coming back so our first two months our first year we were a little overwhelmed I think because nothing was really perfect they had quickly tried to get a few things done but there wasn't enough energy so at nighttime we'd have one LED light and a refrigerator you know there was there wasn't a lot we had to go ashore every three or four days um, because I like ice in my gin and tonics. I'm not supposed to say that, but it's important, <laughs> you know, at the end of a day to have an ice cold gin and tonic. That's how, that's how we started Baker's Island is tried to fill in a niche. And it turned out we fell absolutely head over heels in love with the place. And right. we put in more mm. blood, sweat, and tear, tears on that island. Right. So that first year we, we ended up doing some pretty big projects. I know clearing the campground was one of the, the larger ones, but we also started looking at improving the trails. Um, we made it, in fact, one of our first projects that we took on by ourselves was the sun porch. Oh, I love um, my sun porch, which sun parlor. The sun, sun parlor was actually, it was built in 1926 or 27. 27, spring of 27. It, it was basically <laughs> falling apart. The windows were falling out of the frames. They were six over six windows with no storm windows. Tar and I looked at this place and when we, when we lived there for the first week, we were like, this sun parlor is where we want to live. The rest of the house can go away as far as we're, we're concerned. You can see the sunset from it. So we made it a project to refinish the whole sun parlor, which we did that summer. We redid all the windows, uh, replaced a lot of wood. And at the end, it was a picture that Tara took of the um, Victorian dancers. Victorian, well, I know. They, they were called dancers. Victorian dancers. Okay. But they, they all posed in the windows. There were six of them and there just happens to be six windows facing forward. And the six of them all were in a window and Tara took a picture of them and it just, it made that whole year. That was the, the big project and we finished it before we left at the end of July. So Jeremy, this is where storytelling and history kind of intermingle. So um, we know for a fact, the smaller lighthouse on Baker's Island was dismantled and pushed off the cliff in October of 1926. Mm -hmm. um, 
in spring of 1927, the sun parlor all of a sudden appeared on the front of the keeper's house. Hmm. Now, rarely will they just be sent out a load of lumber to make these things happen. The small lighthouse was octagonal stone, but it was encased in wood. So being the frugal New Englanders, I'm sure when they pushed the lighthouse off, whatever wood was able to be salvaged was salvaged. So wow. this is where my romantic heart and my love of history says, you know what? Who's to say the Sun Parlor isn't part of Ma Baker, the smaller lighthouse? Yeah. Because how often, and the wood would have been the correct wood and things like that. So that's our love of our Sun Parlor because I truly believe she's part of the old lighthouse that got pushed off the cliff in, in October of 26. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I never uh, thought of that, but, and I don't know if it can be proven, but it, it, it seems to me you're no. most likely right about that. So it's kind of like, remember the, history. If you tell, if you tell the story enough times, it becomes a verbal history. <laughs> <laughs> right. Repeated enough. It becomes, becomes true, but no, it seems, seems likely what you're saying. seems very likely. So with the tours at Baker's Island, did you uh, take a, a pretty active part in the tours when groups came out? I did. I did the history tours. Brian and I spent almost all of our free time over the past five years and still now um, researching history and trying to find pictures for time frames that people haven't seen. Um, I've got a really beautiful historic collection of pictures that, you know, past lighthouse keepers, families have found in their attics and things like that. So I would end up doing the historic tour talking about Joseph Perkins and the U.S. Constitution and, you know, just life on the lighthouse. So I would greet the guests coming in on the landing craft, and I would spend about an hour and a half giving them the, the historical timeline, showing them around the island. If it was in the early summer, I'd show them all the baby seagulls. We'd go on nature walks. You know, we don't allow people to go up onto the top of Baker's Island Light because it's a safety issue based on the railing fact, the railing system. So we give a lot of discussions about how we could raise money to make this happen, you know, all the different aspects of it. So I try to make it fun for the guests that come out because I know that they can't go up on top of the lighthouse. So I want to make sure they get as much for their their buck. Um, to come out and actually ask us a million questions. and Right. And that note, I should just mention that Tara loves doing that so much that on Seguin, it was a requirement. We signed up when we signed the contract. It was a requirement to give the history tours of the lighthouse. Yeah, Baker's, it was not. Mm -hmm. Tara, because she had so much fun at Seguin, giving the tours, just decided that she would give the tours on Baker's Island which there was actually a person hired to give the tours. <laughs> but Tara just worked with that fellow. They kind of worked good together. So mm -hmm. the two of them knocking off on each other, they gave the tours. But we were never asked to give any tours, but Tara just likes talking with the people, that, especially the day visitors that always have a lot of questions real quick for you. So she just loves doing it. So she continued on doing it uh, right up until the last Last yep. weekend, we were there. The last hour we were there, I did a tour, and then we ended up leaving. Wow. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think a couple of times I was out there with the groups. You know, I did some talking to the, the group out, out there, but you you also did. So we kind of combined on uh, some of yeah. those tours. Yeah. Tell me, during the COVID pandemic, was, was there a, a year, a complete year, when there were no tours out there? Or was there, or was there not? COVID 
and Massachusetts had very interesting restrictions. So there were no day visitor tours, but we followed the guidelines of uh, Airbnb. Airbnbs of Massachusetts, the guidelines of Airbnbs. And at the time it was, you had to leave the place vacant for five days, you know, disinfectant, things like that. So we were actually able, right from the very beginning, we were able to host um, weekend guests for two nights and then have five days of dormancy within the assistant keeper's house. So we had no day tours, but we were so happy when we had visitors for the weekend because they would get all of our attention. And we probably drove them crazy because we were like, oh, we haven't seen anyone in five days. But it was so delightful. And what better way to be in social isolation than out on an island? So we agreed that they would come out fully masked on the boat. We would discuss social distancing. We would, you know, how we would be masked and what was permitted and how they felt comfortable in different things. And we had some of the best times with these guests. Yeah, it was bittersweet though. I mean, because we only had, the campground was only in its second year. So the first year we only had two or three campers, but they reviewed us very well. So the, the campsites got booked out for the COVID year, but they could only allow one campsite one to be family occupied. And then one family, one pod, I guess they would call it, um, occupied the assistant keeper's house. So those would be the only two visitors every weekend that we would get. Unlike the year before, the two years before, we would get every night we'd have different people in the assistant keeper's house and then all the day visitors. So even though for us, it turned out COVID was not that bad of a year because one, we got there early. We actually told Estes Heritage, um, they asked us if we would like to start. And we would say, not only wouldn't we like to start, which was usually June 1st, we will start today if you'd like, because <laughs> we just want to get out to the island. Yeah, we, were, we arrived really early in May. One of the nice stories that came out of COVID is our very first weekend of that summer, we had a two couples come out from New York City and they were young urban professionals and they were working remotely, but they were at the same time as the George Floyd riots and COVID and downtown Manhattan was not a fun place to be. Um, so they came out and they spent, the weather was perfect. They spent glorious two days. And one of the couples asked if they could stay. And I said, look, we really can't you know, you'll have to talk with Essex Heritage. The next morning, we got a phone call saying that that couple was coming back for a week. They stayed, they made arrangements to work for a week. And they're just, they were so lovely. And Baker's Island gave them that peace and that time to just feel safe and, you know, kind of a little refuge for them. And it was just lovely. And we still follow their travels. You know, they took a little bit of our wanderlust and bought a van and went camping. In fact, they never, they never went back to New York. They went back to New York City for one day after Baker's for that weekend. Then they called up Essex Heritage and asked if they could stay a week. And since they were the same people, they said, okay, as long as you yeah. own the pay, that's fine. So they came out for a week. But after that, they still did not want to go back to New York City. So they ended up getting a van and going out west and just working out of their van. And I think they did that for... They're still doing it. They're still doing it. <laughs> They're still doing <laughs> so it. So that goes to show you 
how much COVID changed people's lives from these two city dwellers, and they were city dwellers, yeah. um, just giving up with the city altogether and saying, we'll just work from a, a far. Yeah, I can understand that. And islands often do serve as refuges for people. There's something special about, about islands for sure. So I'm wondering, uh, to change the subject a little bit, but to, to do with life there on the island, uh, did you experience any any memorable storms there that come to mind? during your five years? Well, the unfortunate thing, I'm not going to lie, is the summer of 2021 was the summer that every holiday weekend had a huge tropical storm or a hurricane. Brian would be a storm chaser if he could be. And we'd get all excited. We'd move the boats to the mainland and everything else. And we'd be all prepared for this, you know, amazing hurricane coming through. And if we got 30 knot winds, we got 30 knot winds. You know, it was nothing really amazing long story short um, for the five years we've been on bakers there was only one significant storm with waves that i think were 12 foot um and they were surfing those waves right Right (laughs) now we've got and we're getting about two gales a week here right now so that the weather that we're having right as i speak the winds that we're having are more than we had in the five years because we never had a tropical depression actually make it up here Mm-hmm. Uh, even the remnants uh, really kind of just missed here in the last five years. But it's still fun, Jeremy. So when the winds are in the 30s and you go to the top of the tower and you go out onto the platform, because perhaps the caretakers can go out and climb the tower. When you lean up against the tower and you close your eyes in high winds and just feel the sway of the lighthouse, there is nothing better. <laughs> you think the lighthouse is actually swaying or is it kind of, is it just the, the feeling of being there in the wind that kind of makes it feel like that? Well, supposedly they're <laughs> supposed to sway some. We talked to some engineer, at, I think it was on Seguin, that there has to be some sort of flex so that uh-huh. the, the rock and the mortar don't crack. And right. even Marty said that. Marty Malley said that when he came out in 2020. Okay, a little bit of, yeah. Yeah, there's a little flex. So, in fact, in 2020 COVID summer, Marty came out to paint the existing tower, Paul Baker, because it was his 200th anniversary of standing there. We had planned this whole celebration for um, the lighthouse's 200th anniversary, and he got a new coat of paint, and he looked gorgeous, and we had COVID, so there was no cake, no ice cream for Paul. But speaking of feeling that the lighthouse was moving, I was remembering that uh, at Portsmouth Harbor Light that I'm very involved with, it's like 10 or 15 minutes from my home here. Uh, I've given many, many tours there. And I remember a woman coming up the 44 stairs to the landing at the top of the stairs and saying the lighthouse is swaying, isn't it? The light, She felt the lighthouse was moving back and forth. I think it was her knees that were swaying after she had just climbed the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that can enter into it. You mentioned at Seguin, Brian, you mentioned at Seguin, you would have uh, unusual, uh, unexpected visitors sometimes that you would show around. Did the same thing happen at Baker's? Do people land on the beach there by kayak or that kind of thing? Uh, They do. I would say in the per year, we get maybe five people that land unexpectedly and unannounced um, onto the beach. They usually, I think all of them were on kayaks, maybe one small sailboat. Mm -hmm. And usually we get a phone call from the private side of the island, from the homeowners association. They have eyes all over this island. I'm sure they don't, but it seems like it because whenever anybody landed on the beach, we would get a phone call because we can't see the beach from the, from the uh, keeper's house. 
Yeah. And we'd walk down there and we were kind of open by Essex Heritage, whether we could allow people to come or not. They were not allowed to come by themselves, supposedly, because there's no trespassing sign. So if you walk up the beach and you see a no trespassing sign, most of us will turn around and not go any further. Some of us will. Uh, anyway, when, when I saw people, I would always try to promote Essex Heritage. So I greet them very politely. Um, how did you find out, you know, what were you, were you expecting to come ashore, um, get some answers, just try to feel them out. And if they seemed like they were okay and not being troublesome or anything, I'd give them a tour of the light station mm-hmm. and always suggest if you want to drop a few dollars into the, the, uh, donation box, go ahead. So to answer your question, yes, we, we did have some people that would come up. Um, not as many as I would think being so close to uh, Manchester. It's not that far. It can be rough, but it's not that far of a paddle right. a kayak. Um, yeah. But I would say about five times a year people would come. What's fun now is um, Essex Heritage has put three moorings out off the lighthouse property that can be rented. Um, as a fundraiser too. And we have a lot of campers that come out by boat. So they come to camp. Um, We have kayaking groups coming out of Marblehead and out of Manchester who come and camp. But the understanding is, and this is an agreement we've had between Essex Heritage, us and the homeowners, is that if someone is going to be arriving on the Coast Guard beach that is not on the NUMCAD, they have to call me first so I'm aware that they're landing. So when the homeowners give me a call and say, do you know? And I'm like, absolutely, we know. So we've had many campers in the last two years coming by kayak and by boat and everything else. And it's it's worked out really, really well. Yeah. Sometimes we put on, a, they put on a good show because I think it was one of our first campers that came by powerboat. There are two, two families with two powerboats. They picked up two of the moorings, but to get ashore, they figured they put everything in what we call a Walmart a bathtub um, toy. Bathtub toys, which are the little inflatable blow-ups. Yep. Here all the islanders are out in the pier watching these people, which they're still at this point, they still weren't comfortable with campers being here. They are now, but at the time they were kind of worried about uh, campers causing problems. Yep. And here we got two power boats with, I think, six kids, two couples paddling their stuff in on little uh, Pete the Magic Dragon blow up <laughs> floats <laughs> and paddle boards, and that you can see the people on the pier just laughing and you know uh-huh. watching and seeing what's going on. But Tar and I would be down there and try to help them and try to get all their stuff on the beach and dry and and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And and that's the way it worked out a lot of times for the power boaters that would come. They would they love the idea of coming here on a power boat and camping but they didn't understand that you had to get onto a rocky beach from their power boat, which isn't so easy. So they right. were always happy. We just, like I said, to blow up the little uh, bathtub toys. Yeah. Know. That's a funny picture. Yeah. I was afraid you were going to say the, the, the little uh, boats, the toy, toy uh, rafts, whatever capsized with all their stuff on it or something. Yeah, but, we, we, yeah. we, we landed everyone safely, but my sister on the beach. Never uh, once. I mean, there were sometimes it was a little questionable, but I can truthfully say both of us are licensed captains, Coast Guard captains, and we've brought many people back and forth. And truly the only person I lost out of the dinghy was my sister, uh-huh. um, which it's my older sister. And she's fairly certain I did it on purpose. But, <laughs> but yeah, she was okay. Has 
Yeah, everyone has arrived safely and they've all departed safely. Sometimes yeah. with more of an adventure than they anticipated, but they all got off and on the island safely. Yeah, it is a, just uh, for people listening, uh, I recommend going there so highly, but it's a little tricky getting off the getting off the landing craft is pretty easy, but then you got to walk across the rocky beach. And if anybody has any mobility issues, it might be a little difficult for some people to, to get up uh, across the beach and up to the light station. But for, for most people, it's not not bad. And I just want to clarify something. You've got the campground there, and there's the two keepers' houses, and you lived in one of the houses for those five seasons, and the other house has the over, overnight stays, right? Correct. So we have the caretakers stay in the keepers' house, which is the house closest to the lighthouse tower. Mm-hmm. The fundraising house is the assistant keepers' house, which is three bedrooms, one and a half baths, and it sleeps six people. Mm-hmm. Then we also have three campsites within the campground, which is actually built where the old pasture was. And it's more glamping right now um, because they have a charging station and a refrigerator. They have the prettiest view of sunsets in the Salem Sound. Numerous campers have had the opportunity to have the whales swimming through um, between Misery and Baker's. And in 2021, we were rated the number one campsite by Outside Magazine in Massachusetts. Really? Wow. So we're really proud of that one. Yeah. It's a unique campground and very rarely can you get an experience like they get here. Yeah, we've, we've gotten, that's probably one of the nicest thing about building that campground are the reviews we get from it. Mm-hmm. Nobody leaves that campground unhappy, it seems. Yeah. Uh, well, that's... And most of the people we have, this year were returned. I would say 80% of the campers we had this year were returned visitors from last year, which kind of tells you something that definitely a unique place. We even had a college reunion this summer and that was wonderful. So we had, you know, 20 people on multiple picnic tables having a camp, you know, if they were there for the 4th of July weekend and they've already booked for next 4th of July. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that that's really great. It's a it's a very complete light station with all the, the buildings that are there, except for the fact that one of the lighthouses, of course, was was demolished, as you mentioned, although maybe yeah. some of the wood from that was saved. <laughs> but um, there's a little gift shop in season. Right. Which 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 building is that? And yeah. It's actually part of the breezeway that connected uh, Keeper's, Keeper's house. house to the Lantern House, Lantern House to Pa Baker. And then from that breezeway over to Ma Baker. Right. So and the now keepers it's... would never have to leave the go out to the outside um, to light the, the uh, lighthouse. Right. Yeah. You can yeah. see it in the old pictures, but now it's detached. It's a detached yes. building. It's a yep. cozy little gift shop in, in season. Yeah. yeah. Um, so can we can we share a fun story with you? Absolutely. Of course. Yeah. That happened this past summer. So. The month of June was really cold and miserable on the island. So Brian and I did a lot of inside things, but we also knew it was our last summer. So I was doing a lot of organizing of all the paperwork and everything in the keeper's house. And I found a picture from the flying Santa from 1938 flying over Baker's Island. And I kept looking at the picture saying, there's something not right about this picture. And for about a week, I kept going back to it and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with the picture. And I finally, we finally got the engineer drawings from 1893 of the light station. And we were looking at this at dinner table one night and I said, let me show you the picture I found and I Mm -hmm. can't figure out what's wrong with it. 
Yeah. So I brought it out. Well, it turns out in the picture of the Flying Santa, there's two oil houses in that picture right underneath the plane. And when you look at the 1893 survey of the property, the oil house would have been on the opposite side of the trail from where it stands now. So Brian and I were like, hot darn, we're going in. So there's nothing better than exploring on, you know, unclaimed land. So we got our garden loppers and we kind of figured out where that other building might have been. Um, and sure enough, we found the foundation from the original oil house that was actually appearing in the survey from 1893. And what's amazing, bittersweet had grown and honeysuckle had grown all over this foundation, but the foundation was two layers of brick overlaying in opposite directions. So no root went through those bricks. So the foundation is in the perfect condition. It's facing the oil house that exists now. So that was our fun find this summer. And what was really kind of neat was there's a lot of um, China pieces that we found that would have dated the approximate time frame of the Win Egan. And it was actually a China pattern that came out of England that was sold strictly to hotels. So we have a lot of fun things that we did and that's what kept us going for our fifth year. Yeah, cool. Good detective work there. The, the Winnie Egan was a hotel on the island, right? Correct. It burned down in 1906 because the careless caretaker fell asleep with a cigarette. Oh, geez. That's not a good idea <laughs> at all. So uh, just to touch on this again, we talked about it earlier. I don't know if you want to add anything because Baker's Island also has some ghost stories. Anything you want to come, yeah. the light station, anything you want to come in on that? I know that some of the Coast Guard keepers and, and couples who live there had some stories about that. Any, any comment? So there, there's in the keeper's house itself, there's a ghost story called the kissing ghost that the bedroom that faced directly to the lighthouse, um, mm -hmm. people that stay there report that they feel someone brushing a kiss across their neck while they're in bed. So that is the kissing ghost for the light station. The majority of the ghost stories actually are associated with the private homeowner side. There are, there's a ghost story in one of the cottages that two young men from boarding school time, they were probably in their mid-teens while they were coming out in the um, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, basically drowned on their way to the island. And there's stories that the ghosts actually have la large amount of music and glasses tinkling, kind of a party situation. And when you look into the windows, there's absolutely no activity. So every day when I'm walking by this one cottage, I say hello to the spirits and hope that one night I get to dance to their music. Uh, okay. I hadn't heard, I knew there were a lot of stories on the, on the island. So that's really interesting. So uh, what made you decide to leave uh, your positions as caretakers on Baker's Island after five years? Yep. And at what led you to take the position as the caretakers on the, the residential part of the island now? So we knew after all the five years we've been there, we put, Brian engineered a huge solar array that allowed both houses to have electricity and washing machine and freezers. And so we totally did the solar system and the campgrounds and all the major projects were done during the five years with us and the volunteers. We have the most amazing volunteer group. I can't even tell you 
every Wednesday they came out and every Wednesday we'd be laughing and getting projects done and eating cookies. But we knew at the end of our fifth season, we, have, we had finally made Baker's Island Light Station a true caretaker position, meaning they really will just have to cut the grass, maintain the trails and give tours. You know, every old house needs to be painted, but we built and MacGyvered and created systems to make it just mm -hmm. normal. We worked mm -hmm. with Essex Heritage very closely to try to take care of the problems that uh, kept people from coming out there or, or made it harder for people to come out there um, or bring materials out there. I mean, we got there, uh, you had to carry everything off the beach from the numkeg up to the plateau and, and we built a ramp. Uh, and this is all with the volunteers too. Uh, this year, we actually made a staircase. So now there's actually a staircase that goes down right where the numb keg drops off the people. So there's no more walking on the rocks in the oh. walk. But to get yeah. off the numb keg, the steps are as close. You, you have 20 feet to walk on rocks to get to the staircase. Wow, that's great. And Brian, so, Brian three years ago, created a utility ramp with a trailer. So Essex Heritage has an ATV out here. So he created a whole pulley system and a trailer to go down to the beach. So we can, we actually unloaded two tons of concrete with this utility system using the ATV to pull everything up and lumber. And but now it's, it's to the, uh, for one, when we do this, our summer is Baker's yeah. Island. It encompasses our whole summer. Um, we, tr we tried to go to a family reunion a couple years ago and there were storms, thunderstorms coming and we had to get back to the island. So we had to leave early from this family reunion to get back here. And that was our only time off the island for the whole summer. This year we took a weekend off. Um, so it's really your whole summer from Memorial Day to Labor Day. And we still haven't sailed New England yet, by the way. It's been well, five summers. Since we left New England. We yeah. sailed New England a lot when we lived here, but eight right. years ago when we left, uh, we haven't been back. So we do want to bring the sailboat back up here and sail around New England. And we also want some freedom. We have an RV. We have a little sprinter van that we want to travel with. So it's basically, we left eight years ago, nine years ago, to not be tied down to a certain place with certain jobs. Like I said, it was supposed to be a two-year Thing. It's lasted for almost, almost nine years now. We're hoping to kind of continue that freedom to go where we want to go when we want to go. Yeah. But saying that, also feel a lot of pride looking back at what Essex Heritage, the volunteers, and what we contributed to Baker's Island. We feel good leaving at five years, hopefully making it last longer and knowing that's a better place than we got there. Oh, yeah. And then so the, it's time to move on, I guess, is to really. So um, we're limited of what we can really talk about with the private homeowners, but we made a lot of friends on the boundary homes um, and we obeyed not crossing boundaries and things like that, just like we promised we would. But we made a lot of friends and mm -hmm. um, we know that the homeowners have a winter caretaker normally and we had the opportunity to apply for it this year. And I am not a winter person. I want to be paddle boarding in the Florida Keys with my dog. Um, I left New England for a reason in the winter. But Brian has just always for five years wanted to see a winter storm out here <laughs> with the lighthouse, with the waves crashing right off the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Um, so 
where they get the true feel. I mean, uh, we lived at, at lighthouse stations during the summer for six years uh, between Seguin and, and here at Baker's. Mm-hmm. And we heard stories about the winters here. And yeah. it would be really interesting. It would be part adventure and part to fill in the gaps of what it really is like to be on a small island in New England during the winter. Right. And we will experience it firsthand um, yeah. doing so, this. So. Yep. On Monday of Labor Day weekend, we finished, like I said, I finished my last tour and we got on the boat and came over to the private homeowner's side. We'll be here until June 30th. Um, as kind of the winter security, making sure that everything stays safe. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a lovely apartment with a beautiful view of um, Salem Sound and Marblehead, and we see misery right out of our window. The other nice thing is, too, is since we are the only ones here, there will be, we're expecting two people to come this weekend. Uh, Some of the, the homeowners, really, I think only these two will be coming out None of the other homeowners have boats or ways to get out here. So our responsibility, um, and this is a professional duty, is that we have to make sure to walk around the entire island. So basically, we have free roam of this island. Uh, yesterday, when there were strong north uh, northeast winds, both Tar and I, we go down to the south side of the island. We walk on people's porches because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to look to make sure there's no broken windows no uh, shutters that are broken. So we're actually required to walk around this island anywhere we want to walk. With an exception. Of the um, So when we were lighthouse caretakers, we weren't allowed to walk onto the homeowner's property. And as homeowner's caretakers, we're not allowed to walk on the lighthouse property. Mm-hmm. So it's hard. My sister actually said to me, Jeremy, she goes, you're posting such pretty pictures of the lighthouse, but they always look so sad because you're not right there taking the picture. You know, you're taking it from afar. And I said, you know, it's just different. It's all different. But this is our adventure for the winter. Um, It's cold. It's windy. (laughs) Also, I I think the other thing that at least I took from it when by the time we had been here for a couple months now, we've been here three months now. Yep. Um, we're getting an understanding of the homeowner's side. We know the Essex Heritage side. So now we're getting to know the homeowner's side mm-hmm. and their feelings. And yeah. I won't, won't go deep into it, as Tara said, because you know, I'm not really saying anything that's not known, though. Yeah. And there's, there's reason on both sides. Mm-hmm. And what would really be fantastic is if we had any part, even a small part, of trying to make the two kind of work together and be neighbors. Yeah. yeah. That's what they are, they're neighbors. So we're just trying, it would be nice if we could play any little part in the making that relationship better. I mean, we used to feel like we were Switzerland, you know, we were kind of in the middle of everything. Um, but now being part of the homeowner's caretaker position, we feel like we're more a bridge. I won't say that we're Switzerland. I'm like, we're just trying to get everyone's point of view listening, trying to pass it back and forth and understand. And the the families that have lived out here have lived out here since 1895. And, you know, this is their way of life. And they take great pride of this island. And mm-hmm. um, as does Essex Heritage take pride of the light station. And I think they are far more um, similar than they are not. And I think in the next few years, we'll see a lot, lot more happiness between the two parties well, look, looking back five years 
it's night and day to where we were five years ago. Yeah. I mean, when we took this position, we were just told, don't even think about the other 10 acres. You just don't cross. You don't think about, you don't talk to the people. You don't, you know, you're restricted to that 10 acres and that's it. And yeah. by the end of the first year we were here and definitely by the end of the second year, we were basically friends with all the neighbors to the lighthouse. So everybody that had property adjacent to the lighthouse, we were on first name basis. I would say friend friends basically, and look forward to coming back the next year to, to see them again. Yeah. And that little, those thinking part, that's possibly why we're caretakers of the Island too, is because those families knew us. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot farther than the first year we got here. <laughs> so, yeah. so we know we, we've made progress and that's all you can ask for. Something like this yeah. is going to take years and maybe even a generation to completely dissolve. We're hoping in the end, the same relationship that the U S coast guard had with the Island, which was mm -hmm. a very close relationship. Mm -hmm. We kind of hope that Essex heritage in the Island can, can return to that type of relationship. Yeah. Well, it seems to be happening. And I, I do know quite a bit about that, that history, you know, being from around there and following it very closely over the years and getting on the Island in 2001 with, uh, with Marty Nally, uh, you know, we had to go in the off season when basically nobody was there. <laughs> Otherwise it probably couldn't have happened. Um, but you know, I, I do know about that history. I know there was friction. I know that it's gotten a lot better. Uh, and I think you've had, uh, definitely had a hand in that. Yeah. I mean, we just want everyone to love this Island, whether you're a homeowner, a visitor, and to respect the boundaries that everyday society puts there. And these are just everyday boundaries. Don't trespass. It's really yeah. simple. I can say 99.9% .9 of the people that we ask not to cross the boundary do not cross the boundary and are totally respectful. All the day visitors, the overnight visitors, the campers, which originally people thought were going to be a problem, turned out to be actually just the opposite. And in the five years, we've had one person cross the boundary. And boy, mm -hmm. did my phone ring like that. Yeah. And I knew immediately. So and, and, and to respect the homeowners, that one guest of Essex Heritage that crossed the boundaries, that one guest was asked never to come back. Yeah. Um, because that's how serious we took that thing. So what's fun is when the day tours come out and say, we've lived in Beverly, we've lived in Peabody, all these years and have you know sat at the anchor pub and saw baker's island and never been able to come out here and they're so excited that they can finally come out and that's a true gift of what essex heritage has given to this area is to maintain it so that the average person can come out here and see this light station because it is probably the prettiest 10 acres maybe your light station up in portsmouth is prettier but I think our 10 acres is probably the prettiest waterfront property in New England. I mean, it's just glorious. I can't so. argue with that. It's right. It's certainly up there. Uh, I have one final question for you for bonus points. Okay. okay. And okay. <laughs> that question is what was your favorite thing about your five years as the caretakers for Baker's Island light station, favorite thing or things. And uh, you can uh, both take a turn at that if you'd like. All right. Mine is, improving my photography to take the most memorable pictures of this light station that I have literally surrounding me in this apartment and they still bring tears to my eyes. And I remember every moment when I've taken all of these pictures. So just being able to take the same picture a hundred times 
and learning from it, but having such amazing scenery to do it. So for me, it's just the photography aspect of it. Yeah, it's, it's mostly the people. I just enjoy the people coming out and talking to them. Um, and like I said, Tari's the ghost story. I'm the technical. So I like the, the geeks that want to know why there was an engine house and what was in the engine house. I can explain to them that. Um, so it's mostly the, the people that come out. And the day visitors, I actually enjoy, not that I don't enjoy the overnighters, and we cater to them as best we can. But it seems like the day visitors, like both of you have said, I would say 70% of them, first question or first statement is, I've been to this, I've been around this lighthouse my whole life. I always wanted to come here. Yeah. And that's 70% of the day visitors we get. That's exactly what they say. And we're saying we're just honored that you were you able to come out here. Yeah. yeah. That, that really makes you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is an amazing thing. And as you said, Tara, it's a gift to the area yeah. that that place is, is open to tours and, you know, having uh, lived a, a good portion of my life in that area, I, I feel it's uh, very, very special. And the two of you, uh, I was thinking that you weren't just the caretakers of that place. You were basically the, uh, the light station managers for those years yeah. and directors might be a, a good word too. You developed so much, as you've said, uh, you made such an impact there and laid the groundwork for the, the caretaker position going forward. And I was thinking that you're also, you're part of the history of the place. Now you, you know, along with the keepers of the past uh, future books about the history of Baker's Island light station, we'll have to have a, a, at least a chapter on, on you in there too. <laughs> So you have, uh, oh, thank you. That was a very nice compliment, yes. Jeremy. It would be devastating if that lighthouse would ever be privatized. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm hoping Essex Heritage could just hold on to that property, keep it open to the public. That would be our dream, is that it keeps on existing. It's one of the oldest, you know, the lighthouses are the America's castles. Yep. Um, it, it's just really nice that they could keep it open to the public and hopefully for future forever it's open to the public oh i couldn't agree more from where i said essex heritage is doing a great job and i see no reason that can't continue for many many years to come so uh brian and tara flanagan thank you so much for spending this time with me today i really appreciate it thank you for on behalf of the lighthouse community thanks for everything you've done uh for that place and seguin too you've uh done uh, so much uh to promote and take care of our lighthouses. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. You can learn more about Baker's Island Light Station at bakersislandlight.org. There's info about tours and overnight stays, and there's also an online gift shop. You can also learn more about Essex Heritage at essexheritage.org. Yeah, I'm the proud owner of a Baker's Island baseball cap. I'm really impressed by everything Essex Heritage has accomplished at Baker's Island, and I recommend their tour of the light station for anyone visiting Boston's North Shore in the summer. Thanks as always to all the volunteers, members, and staff of the U.S. Lighthouse Society at Point No Point Light Station in Washington State and around the world. To learn more about memberships, tours, preservation grants, and everything the Society offers, visit uslhs.org. If you listen through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. Please share this podcast on social media and tell your friends. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, quote, 
You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. End quote. Yeah, I like how that applies to lighthouses, too. Definitely. Yep. Next time on Lighthearted, we'll have a conversation with two people involved in the preservation of Alligator Reef Lighthouse in Florida. As always, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thanks so much for listening and... Keep a good light. Keep a good light.